So we've been chatting for quite a bit now and I try to keep these episodes under an hour and considering that the timer on the non-chopped version of this is well over an hour, so what might happen is we have episode 6a for the moon-related stuff and episode 6b for the moon-related fluff. Yes, so thank you for tuning in to 6a. Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! Hello and welcome to Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show or The Lunatic Podcast as I've decided to call it on most of the streaming outlets. I am Andy, a self-appointed moon expert and I'm here with my co-host Rick. How are you doing Rick? Hello, I'm good. I am the voice of the audience, knowing nothing about moons, ready to pounce with inter or questions that hopefully you will know the Brilliant. answers to. Brilliant. Uh, so, what are we going to talk about on today's show? Well, uh, we have some moon news. We have some. We have a U two two update. NASA has just opened a moon dirt sample that has been untouched since the 1970s, so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the results of the name walking rover poll that we started, and a new moon alert which we'll come to. And then there's some other moon-related guff, the fluff stuff that's at the end of the news that we'll talk about later on. Oh, which is... Oh, you want to know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh definitely, That's I, I just tune for the fluff stuff. Okay. Not interested in the proper moon news. Well, we'll find out what happened to my Robot Wars arena. Yeah, yeah. I, exactly, that's the best thing. I'm looking forward to that. We'll obviously do the moon of the month. And of course, very local moon news as well, because it wouldn't be the Lunatic Podcast without some very local moon news. And we're going to end on our highly anticipated ongoing feature. (laughs) Occasional feature. Occasional feature. It's the second time, therefore, occasional feature. Everything wrong with Moonraker. Where this time we're going to look at two and a half minutes worth between the minutes of eight and a bit minutes and 11 minutes. We're getting through it. It's a two-hour film. (laughs) We will get there. 2022 will have finished Moonraker. So, I want to talk about U2-2. And so, we left it last time almost breaking a record. Did it break the record? It did break the record. Hooray! Please insert a sound effect of congratulations or something. Uh, I'll see what is in the public domain and insert it here. Yes, U22 has smashed the record, and if you didn't listen last time, we were hoping that this little Chinese moon rover would beat the existing moon record, which was held by Lunacod 1, which was the first ever lunar rover sent up by the Soviets in 1970, and it lasted officially 321 days on the moon. Sorry, the record is how long can it remain operational on the moon? On the moon. 321 days, and U22 is currently on 313 days. Now you might be thinking, hang on a minute, 313 days is less than 321 days, so how has it broken that record? Well, doing a bit of research last time, I might have jumped the gun by touting this rover's successes of 321 days, because it actually lasted 301 days. Now, the reason for this was the last actual contact with Lunacod 1 was on the 14th of September 1971. That was the last radio contact the Soviets had with the moon rover. But they officially ended the mission, so they gave the grand statement, the big speeches, on the 4th of October to coincide 
with the launch of Sputnik 1 as a nice anniversary thing because the Soviets loved to kind of highlight the anniversaries of big momentous occasions in their history. In fact, that's what happened with Sputnik 2. They wanted to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution, so that's why they rushed Sputnik 2 into production and they actually managed to do it within 30 days. So that's quite incredible. That is a pretty good <laughs> speed to create a rocket and send it off. Yeah, exactly. And it, for, between Sputnik 1, which is just a toaster that beeped in space, to Sputnik 2, which had Laika on it within the space of 30 days, Laika being the first dog sent into space. It's quite incredible. So the official days is 321, so the official record, but you're saying the proper record is 301. Yes, that's correct. So the difference is just what the Russians declared it had finished 20 days after it yeah. had. Right. <laughs> is this like me running 100 metres in like a minute and I just officially declare, no, I did it in nine seconds? Yes, but the rest of the world knows that you did it in a minute. Right. So you can declare all you want, but everybody knows the okay. actual one. Okay, uh, and this is Earth Days as well, because I remember last time we were talking about lunar days, which go on for years or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I may have been adding more confusion. Like, Lunar days last 28 days. That includes night and day. Full rotation of the moon, that's 28 days. But a day, as in daylight, yeah. sunrise to sunset on the moon lasts roughly 12 days. And the night lasts roughly 12 Earth days. Yeah, so I'm guessing that any record will be some sort of multiple of 12 or 14 or 28 or something. Because if it dies in the middle of the night, the night lasts... I don't know, 14 days or whatever, then you, you're you not going to know until the morning. That's a very on, good point. On, on, on the moon. Yeah, that's a very good point. As in, like, they will resurrect, and if there's no contact made, there's like, oh, then they're asleep for good. Yeah. So, uh, okay, it's not that, though. I, I, I was looking at these these times and say, oh, right, did it actually die in the night, the lunar night, but it, it was legally allowed to go on for a few more days, and they said, oh, no, no, it's still alive. Oh, I can't be bothered calculating this. No. As in going back and finding the exact sunrise yeah. point on the moon yeah. of the landing point of Lunar Cod 1. So let's just, it, it could have done it in the middle of the night. I don't know, is the answer. Uh, well, let me look it up. Well, lo long story short is basically they lied. So the official record from scientifically is that they lasted 301 days and then just claimed an extra 20 days because it was useful. Oh, yeah. Useful for the Soviet propaganda machine of like, oh, it, as so one mission ends, another begins and we celebrate this triumphant. The uh, coffee machine <laughs> disagrees again with <laughs> my... <laughs> Could have been like cheering along. Communist coffee machine there. I remember the celebration of Lunacod 1 well. To be honest, if I was to say if your com your coffee machine was communist or capitalist, I would say it's probably communist because it's like allocated its work <laughs> at birth. It's like it will only ever be a coffee machine. This is your role, little mushka. So according to this, controllers finished the last communication session with Lunacod 1 on the 14th of September. So that's when they finished the last communications and they attempt to re-establish it. They didn't make it. So I'm assuming that it's gone to sleep and they've tried to contact it again. But they still count it as the days. Yeah, for convenience. But anyway, back to another communist country with China's U-22 which is 313 days as of recording into the mission. Now, it is currently asleep. It is hibernating during the lunar night, and the sun will rise above the Von Karman crater roughly the 18th of November, and hopefully U-22 will wake up from then 
and it'll absolutely smash the 321 days, which is the official propaganda record. So I'm rooting for U22, even though it's smashed the proper record, let's get it in the actual official books that it's done it. Uh, you know that gel-like substance that I took photos of? Like, the photos that were released were pretty terrible and they looked naff. It was a glass in the end, wasn't it? Yep, it was like, yeah. it was a glass due to the crater impact. A high-resolution image has been released and there it is. It looks nice. like marbles in a puddle. <laughs> the sequel to Snakes on a Plane. Um, <laughs> So yeah, no, I mean, that looks fan fantastic. The the resolution of that. What I do like is that picture we're looking at on your laptop is, I mean, it's kind of like a high definition camera, slightly worse, but I mean, it is in space and it's come from however many yeah. miles away. Chances um, are the camera will weigh something like 10 grams or something ridiculously like, like that. Yeah, and it's working in very harsh conditions because obviously the, the sun can suddenly pop up not suddenly pop up, but it, it can affect the camera and the lens massively because there's no atmosphere to get in the way. And then also it can go into the dark and then suddenly this camera becomes very cold and very hot and uh, it's got to survive very difficult conditions. But it's taken like a really good picture there. And then you've tried to print it out. I have tried to print it out. And it's just two black rectangles on this paper. <laughs> So I can, I can well imagine if you were on the mission and just like everyone's done their job apart from you. Just if you were in charge of printing. Right, we want you to make a hundred copies of this, print it out, send it to the newspapers across the world, let us know what you think. And the headlines will read, Chinese censorship gone mad, big black square sent from photos of the moon. What did they find? We'll never find out. So well done. China for your fantastic engineering there and less of a welder. Second prize there to you, Andy, for your printing uh, skills. I graciously accept this defeat. So now let's talk about the moon samples that are being opened for the first time since the 70s. Way. Way indeed. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why I cheered for that one. I assume this was deliberate. It wasn't just like they found them uh, in the back of the lab and go, oh, we haven't opened these yet. <laughs> Neil and Buzz went to so much effort to get them. We really should. You know, when you bring a bottle of wine to a party yep. and the host sort of says, oh, thank you. And they just squirrels it away. <laughs> Neil and Buzz come out. And of course, uh, Mike Collins yep. come back and sort of say, oh, yeah. NASA just go, oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, lovely. Moon right. Oh, brilliant. Oh, we'll just put it away. This was the uh, like the second or third mission, so they like probably had like loads of samples already. Like, oh yeah, more of them. Great, thanks guys. <laughs> uh... More Merlot, marvelous. <laughs> there is a reason why they left it this long before they opened it. But on a tangent of, uh, on a classic tangent, why are they coming to them now? Like, did they forget about them? Samples have been forgotten about, and they've been stolen as well. So there's like a couple of kilograms of moon rock that have just gone missing and have therefore been forgotten about. The reason why they've waited since the 70s and almost 50 years to actually open these samples is because they knew the equipment they had would be outdated within a couple of decades. So they wanted to preserve, because they're in sealed vials, capturing the exact conditions of the moon that they were contained in. So they were like scooped up, put in a vial, put in a sealed container so it's like they are fresh from the moon they've been preserved for these last 50 years knowing that the technology will have advanced 
to a point where we can do so much more analysis on them than we could have done when they were taken back in the 70s. What analysis can we do now? Taking much finer slices of the minerals, for, for example, so before you could slice the rocks to, I don't know, about a millimetre, maybe half a millimetre thick. Now it's like a micron thin and it is like razor planing. So you can get like crazy thin slices of the lunar soil, the breccia, and you can do much higher microscopic analysis on them as well. So one of the experiments is searching for glass beads that are yellow, orange, green, and all various shapes and sizes and colors. And these formed when the lava was present on the lunar surface, when like a volcanic eruption happened on the moon or when a impact happened that flew the, flung this lava up into the atmosphere, it cooled. It will have one, captured the lunar atmosphere at the time, and two, it will have preserved what the lava was like at the time. With this new technology and the new microscopes, they can do much more detailed analysis on it. Why are they doing this analysis, you may ask? Yeah, why have they, uh, yeah, d why have they done it now as opposed to waiting another 50 years and then we can, you know, uh, use some other experiments. Obviously, I can't predict them, but we could psychically telepathy into the rock or something, I don't know. Because there are asterisks going back to the moon. There are plans to go back to the moon. So they're going to collect more. They're going to get more samples and they're going to bring them back. In theory, there are plans to go back to the moon. They're all very confident they're going back to the moon. I think it would be wonderful if they did, but I'm a little skeptical in politics at the moment, saying we're going to do a thing. We promise we're going to do the thing. Are you going to do the thing? Well, they, they promised it by 2024. That probably you, won't happen. You speculated was because that's when Trump's... If he gets a second term and not impeached, etc., etc., he could stand there and make a speech saying, we've landed on the moon, yeah. thanks to me. However, that was based on NASA's original timeline of it'll take about 10 years being knocked down to six or something stupid. Yeah, exactly. And... Thankfully, more money is being poured in. They're doing more and more safety tests, but all it takes is for one of those safety tests to go wrong, which is the whole point of safety tests, to make sure everything works. If there is... <laughs> so I thought you meant the whole point of safety tests is for it to go wrong. <laughs> no, to make sure that the equipment is fine, and if there is something wrong, good, you found out the thing that's wrong, fix it, but if something does go wrong, then that's going to set the schedule back. Yeah, it takes rework. Exactly, and... The issue with launching stuff at the moon, you need it to be in the perfect position for all the calculations. Your launch times need to be like to the minute. Oh, wow. Yeah, they can't. Because of dynamics. Because uh, you'll like slingshot it, use the gravity to slingshot it out and back. Uh, but I've, I've seen like shuttle launches delay by a day. Yeah, that's because they're just going to like have more fuel and they can maneuver them up in uh, space. But if you want to put a lot of equipment on the moon, you need to make sure that you're using the fuel, efficiently using the fuel. Oh, right, so the delay a generic space mission by yeah. a day or whatever, because you're just aiming for space. Yeah. As long as you hit space, <laughs> then you're fine. <laughs> uh, okay, so the moon's a bit more. Okay, that, that, I mean, that's a bit weird that they can't recalculate or just add a bit more fuel. Well, you, we did this in a trial podcast when it, for every kilogram of space rocket, you need 30 kilograms of fuel to get it off the ground. Okay, yeah. Yes. I've and forgotten that since the trial podcast. I've put the trial podcast out of my mind. That That's fair enough. I mean, we only talk about them in therapy now. <laughs> <laughs> After their fantastic success of 
Name this moon. And the sobering realisation that no one knows a moon other than our moon and the ones from Doom. And what happened to Crater or Potato? That fantastic feature that never got aired. This segment is finished. So, the results are in. The results from the general election. Not yet. The Brexit vote. Or you something even more important? This is much more important because it's not as depressing. Last podcast, we started a naming competition inspired by the Carnegie Science with the name Saturn's Moon to name Walking Rover. Walking Rover being the name of the UK's first rover being sent to the moon by a UK company called Spacebit, which is a good name, but the name of their rover we thought was really dull, considering that it looks like a box with mechanical spider legs, it looks really cool, it's the UK's first rover, but it's got such a dull and functional name of Walking Rover. So we launched the Twitter naming contest of hashtag name Walking Rover, and the competition is still going on, so you can still submit your names, but here are some of the ones that we have had so far. So this, this is an unofficial competition. It's oh, not yeah. recognised by Spacebit in any way, shape or form. They have not retweeted me or liked the tweets. <laughs> but in all news, we will just refer to it as whatever the name is and not Walking Rover. Exactly. So hashtag name Walking Rover is still going on. I will keep tweeting Spacebit and they will acknowledge me, damn it. Here are some of the names that have been submitted so far. Spiderbot. Shelob, which is named after the giant spider from Lord of the Rings, which I thought was pretty cool. There is Atheon. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Atheon. Atheon, which is named after one of the horses that pulled Apollo's chariot. Not a spider, but pretty cool nonetheless. Uh, other names include Luna Crab, Moon Spider, and Eric the Half a Tarantula, because it's got four legs, not eight. Right. <laughs> Big fan of Eric the Half. Eric, Eric the Half. What happened for Nightcrawler? You didn't read that one out. Oh, I missed over that. I'm sorry. Which is the best name. You think? Well, as I was, uh, you know, going through my difficult teenage years in the mid-90s, as you do, uh, of course, the only thing that kept me going was the, the Nightcrawlers and their song, Push the Feeling On. Fair enough. Fantastic. Uh, popular beat combo they were. Very good in the hit parade. And they were probably on, like, now 26 or something. <laughs> <laughs> For back then, it was only double digits. Oh, God, yeah, it's triple digits now, isn't it? It's probably like standard form. I, now that's what I call music, 6.2 to the power 10. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I have a playlist of all of the albums of Now That's What I Call Music and I occasionally listen to it and filter out the ones that I don't like and it's almost every other song. It's like, nope, hate that one. So that's going out. Hate that one. That's going out. So I'm like trimming it down and I've called the playlist. Now that's what I apparently call music. <laughs> well, you do realize the Now series is like pop music it's pop you're obviously being a hipster type not a not a fan not a teenage girl who's into your boy bands and what have you whereas your death metal what is it you are into 8-bit lo-fi wasn't it uh i like lo-fi study beats just listening to that while i'm working i'm a big fan of mostly metal music not a fan of classic metal, but like the more modern stuff. So like System of a Down, Corn, uh, Every Time I Die, Employed to Serve. <laughs> There's so many, so many subgenres to it. Uh, but I also like the polar opposite. I quite like swing music, quite like... So there is some really good pop, quite like some acoustic stuff. Depends what mood I'm in. I'm mostly angry all of the time, so it's mostly metal. Right, yeah, I was going to say those metal things. I'm not really into metal, but I like... What was it Every Time I Die? Yep. 
Is is the song like every time I die I say goodbye a little? It is not. Is it not? Okay. <laughs> Just in a slight reversal of the uh, the very romantic tune. Every time we say goodbye, I die a little. It probably is a reference to that because the guy, the lead singer and chief lyricist, is very clever and he's very witty with his lyrics and very poetic. Yeah, because of course every time you say goodbye. Is written by Cole Porter, who was very good at his lyrics. Okay, I believe you. If not, listen to, I don't know, Anything Goes. Okay, so this is the track list for the latest Now That's What I Call Music, 104, 104. God, blimey. Sorry, I also find the series like very indecisive. There's like someone there going, now, now this is what I call me, this. I've got it right this time, everyone. Sorry for all the false calls I've made earlier, but this, this genuinely is what I call music. I can't apologize enough for March 83. I don't know what I was thinking, putting in men with hats and safety dance, but look, I've got it this time. It's taken me 104 tries, but this time, guys, I've got it. Looking at the track list, I like some of these. I actively despise quite Dance. a lot. So I don't recognise it. Dance Monkey. Yeah. I have no idea if they're a band or a bloke or a woman or a, a robotic voice. Well, Dance Monkey is the name of the song. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> I'm sounding like my dad. Most. This is actually a better hit rate than most of the others. I quite like some of these. The Style Council, I very much doubt they're a proper council. <laughs> they're fucking <laughs> ratified. No. Do they organise, like, bin collections? Uh, their music is trash. <laughs> that was a hell of a tangent. What did what sparked this? Nightcrawler. On the lo-fi thing. Because I, I listen to those study beats as well. And it's like a raccoon, a sort of chill-out raccoon or something. Yeah. Who's, like, doing having a picnic or something relaxing. He's typing, he's doing his work. Yeah, something like that. Or, no, because you can get the chill out ones and there's, they've animated the raccoon doing something different and relaxing. But I'm, I'm wanting to look at like one time when they run out of animations and he ends up doing something incredibly stressful, like building a matchstick ship in a bottle <laughs> and just going absolutely mad when it breaks <laughs> and just smashing it and suddenly it just goes to death metal or something. Ah, so two things. They do change the animation to reflect uh, the seasons and the weather. So they're different ones for the raccoon thing. Uh, there is a show which is just that. It is a tight, it's, um, it's from the people who made Hello Kitty and it's called Agretzico. And it's about a little red panda who works in an office and it's an incredibly stressful environment because, you know, with Japanese culture, you've got to work, 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 and you've got to be there before your boss gets there and you can't go home until your boss leaves. So it's incredibly stressful. And the way that she vents is to go to karaoke and scream death metal. And it is proper death metal. Oh, right. A Gretzico. It is brilliant. Sorry, is that a TV show? Yeah, or yeah, it's uh, on Netflix. Oh, oh, right. Is that... Yeah, Agresco. It's lovely and really funny, and it has death metal. Ticks all the boxes. Marvellous. Back to Walking Rover. <laughs> now that you've had some time to think about it, do you have any ideas of what you would call this rover? Yeah, I want to call it Doom Spiderbot. Still sticking with Doom Spiderbot? Because, yeah, it's blatantly the one from Doom. And they okay. sh stick a chain gun on it, and then we've got the origin story for how that Doom Spiderbot got to Mars. Well, it's almost got to Mars. Well, when NASA finally gets his act together, gets to... The moon. They're planning on testing out the Martian base, seeing if they can actually build a habitable environment. When they actually then go to Mars from the moon, Spiderbot could climb aboard, and there is your origin. Fantastic. So 
Doom TM Spiderbot TM Copyright C. That's the name that you're suggesting. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Spacebit will be sued immediately. <laughs> New moon alert, Andy. New moon alert, which I'm also going to wedge into the foreign moon news because this is very, very, very foreign moon news. Yeah, I mean, this is an exomoon. It is an exomoon. Well, yet to be confirmed exomoon, but very likely to be an exomoon. What is an exomoon as opposed to a moon? An exomoon is a moon orbiting an exoplanet. An exoplanet being a planet that is, does not belong to our solar system, i.e. one that orbits a distant sun. Brilliant. I was, I was worried you were going to say an exomoon orbits an exoplanet. <laughs> Genuinely. It's like the black and white snooker thing. It's like, oh, if you're watching in black and white, the pink's next to the green. <laughs> so it's a moon orbiting a planet that's outside of our solar system. How on earth did they see that? Well, like the Hubble telescope could look at distant things, there is another telescope in orbit called the Kepler telescope, and it is searching for exoplanets. It's trying to find a planet that is in the habitable zone and if it finds one in the habitable zone then there could be life there what's the habitable zone uh, is it a new <laughs> crystal maze zone <laughs> it got a bit easier it's just <laughs> the budget cuts they've just gone to a furniture shop it's the habitable zone it's got some good sofas and a lovely sort of coffee table anyway back on track the habitable zone andy what's that it is the area, also known as the Goldilocks zone, that is not too hot, not too cold. If you're too close to the sun, there's no chance of there being liquid water or any other temperature being to sustain life. It's too hot, everything boils off, you just die. Too far away from the sun, then it's too cold, everything is ice, chances are nothing's going to survive there. It, it needs to be warm in the habitable zone. Okay, cool. Um... I think we may have talked about this, or, or whether it was in the, the test podcast or the pilot ones. Uh, how do you spot the actual planets? Because you don't, do you? Spot the wobble on the sun. You spot the wobble on the sun and you spot eclipses. So what they'll do is they'll look at the position of a star. And if it wobbles, because the sun wobbles about its axis because of all the planets orbiting it and pulling it in different directions... So you look at a star, and if it wobbles, chances are there is a object of great mass orbiting it. That could be another star, it could be a black hole, it could be a planet. In this case, it is a planet. There's another way that you can do it, and that is waiting for the planet to eclipse the sun. Now, it doesn't have to totally eclipse it, it could just be a transit, like what Mercury did the other day. That Mercury's just went across the sun, and we saw a little dot. So what you do is you measure the sun and how much light it's kicking out. And if you notice over time that that amount of light dips at like a frequency, you can tell that, oh, there's something in front of it blocking that light. And in this case, when they looked at a particular star, they noticed a significant drop in the output over time. And they discovered the planet called Kepler-1625b. <laughs> Catchy. Very catchy. Well, the exomoon has been preemptively called Kepler-1625b-i. Fantastic. <laughs> was this done by the naming committee of Walking Rover? I think it was. I think they've thought, we're on a roll, lads. We're just going to keep belting out these absolute knockout names. I'm supposed to be the voice of ignorance, but I did actually see the video on this on space.com, which is quite good, because it's yeah. got a little animation, which is quite nice, with... Uh, a planet going in front of the sun and a moon going in front of the sun to show you what's going on in 
time with what the graph outputs. It's worth pointing out that also I did see that Mercury was going in front of our sun. And we are like, oh, brilliant, I could go and watch that. And it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> Andy's shaking his head. It's like, no, no, you can't. Because uh, it did say, no, you will not be able to see this. Even, like, if you look at the sun, it's, it's like a, you know, a fly going in front of the sun. And if the fly was a kilometre away or something, you know, it, it was, yeah. you're still basically looking at the sun if you look at it with your naked eyes. So don't do that. Uh, and it was even with like, is it mylar or whatever the thing you look at solar eclipses with? You couldn't even do it with that. You need sort of special astronomical kit. They basically said go to your local astronomical society exactly. who will who will be able to spot this very very small black dot on yeah. what is a, a massive ball of light. Well, exactly. It's like the light engulfs it, so you need to massively tone down the light. Just basically whack the brightness on your phone camera way, 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 way down. So the camera's hardly registering any light and you might be able to see the dot going across it, which is why you need to train the cameras on it. You need to have the focus absolutely perfect. Uh, there are loads of wonderful photos of it. I'll include one or two in the show notes. But yeah, I mean, so this is amazing that, you know, to look at Mercury, you need specialist equipment. And the fact that they can spot a moon well, notice the difference in a moon, not even a planet, an exomoon going in front of a star that's, what, 8,000 light years away? 8,000 light years away, yeah, which is incredible. That, that is amazing. Yes, it is amazing. But I'm just going to get up the cost of the telescope. It's the Kepler Space Observatory. Well, I'm not going to buy one. No, but when you see how much it costs, then you might realise, oh, yeah, that one, that makes a bit more sense that it's able to spot things that far away. Isn't it in space? It is in space. Right. So the Kepler Space Telescope cost 550 million US dollars. Your average amateur astronomer could probably pay two grand on a telescope and would be able to see Mercury going across the sun with the right telescope and they knew what they were doing. So, dialing that up. I don't, yeah, I don't think it works like <laughs> linearly. But yeah, the fact that this light left like 8,000 years ago, and it just bimbled its way. So through our most of modern history, this light was wending its way along space, only to suddenly hit now. I love the personification of light just being this like bumbling little <laughs> idiot going down the high street being like, oh, fancy a Twix. <laughs> that, that is light. But yeah, don't you, don't you find it amazing? You look up at the stars and it's like that photon left thousands of years ago and only, you know, end up in my eye. And, and I can't, I'm probably not really appreciating it that much because I want to get home and it's cold. Well, exactly. What's even more incredible is I find that most of the stars that you look at probably are dead. That they're so far away that the light hasn't reached us yet. That they're supernovas of their demise. That they are just dead in their frame of reference. But that information hasn't got to us yet. In case you tuned into the podcast at that point when he said stars are dead. It's like that, these are astronomical stars. These are not like... <laughs> most of the celebrity stars you see are dead. You just haven't realised. <laughs> oh God. Uh, yes, it is incredible. So, as we were saying before, this planet was discovered because it was going in front of the star and they noticed the drop-off in the light curves on the light graph. But what they also noticed that either side of this drop, there was another little dip. And this dip kept appearing again and again and in different locations. And also, from this light curve, they were able to estimate the orbit of the planet around the sun. But the orbit 
was out by one and a bit hours. And this was consistently out by one and a half hours. So they rerun the calculations. Nope, the maths was correct. So something was gravitationally pulling on this planet. Something was slowing it down. And the dips in the light, something slowing down the planet, all point to an exomoon. So it's sort of been observed in the light curves. It's sort of been calculated through the maths. That's why it hasn't been 100% officially been awarded exomoon status because more studies need to be done on this. But that's how they have potentially discovered an exomoon. Yeah, no, I, I'd strongly recommend you go, this is to the listeners, not you, uh, yes. go to, I think it's space.com or the... I'll put a link in the show. Put notes. a link to it, because uh, it goes through it in, in massive detail. As part of the sort of press release from this, David Kipping, who was the sort of lead on this, made a video that explains all the sort of science and logic behind it. It's quite accessible as well. Yeah. It's not sort of highbrow calculus or whatever. And but he was he, he was stressing that this is like the first potential sorry potentially the first exomoon that's been discovered. So they've got to be absolutely clear and sure before they declare it. However, when they sort of did the press release of we might have discovered an exomoon, the media turned that to they have discovered an exomoon. So, as is tradition. As is, as is yeah, and, and it proves Elvis and whatever <laughs> else, you know. We should, being the premier moon-based podcast with Andy's name in it, we should say this is a, a probably, a definite probably, potentially discovered an exomoon, but it's not official. And I should also point out this was originally found in 2018, like October the 3rd, 2018, just over a year ago. Uh, the reason why this has resurfaced again is because they've come up with a theory of how this moon may have even formed. That yeah, <laughs> that, that's amazing as well. Yeah, it is. Like, amazing. I, I can't work out like what's behind my tumble dryer, <laughs> and yet these people can work out stuff that's like eight thousand light years away, and and how it formed like millions of years before that. And so, I can't find some of my socks half the time. <laughs> keep looking. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll appear. They disappear. I don't know where they are. Do the rabbits keep eating them? <laughs> there might be. Why are there rabbits? What the hell? <laughs> I've got one rabbit. Where are the others? Is he an invited mate? Maybe the rabbit is lonely and it's just cobbled together a rabbit made of socks. Right. <laughs> why, why are you keeping your rabbits so lonely that they have to resort to sock rabbits? That's animal cruelty, Rick. And this is why you're not in charge of a space programme. Exactly. <laughs> so what was the origin of the exomoon? So they roughly figured out the size of this exoplanet and it would be gas giant size. So, so they've estimated the planet is about three times the size of Jupiter. So it's massive, a huge gas giant. And the exomoon is about the size of Neptune, which again is huge for a moon. So based on the position of the star, based on the position of the planet and the orbit of this moon around this huge, massive Jupiter-like planet, they've modeled various origins for it. So they put in all the numbers, put in all the figures, modeled the creation of it via the accretion method, which is how the Galilean moons formed around Jupiter. Very briefly, when a gas giant forms, it has like a, a disk of gas and dust around it. As the planet gets bigger, the disk will start to circle around it. As it starts to circle, it'll get denser and denser and collapse in on itself. As it collapses in on itself, Rocks will start to form out of this gas and dust. They will start to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they will accrete all the material around them, getting bigger and bigger and bigger until they're like planet-sized. Sometimes they'll be really big, other times they'll be really small. So if a moon is 
big, about the size of our own moon, and orbiting in the same direction as the parent planet, and is pretty close to the parent planet, you can assume it formed at the same time via the accretion method. So, when they applied that logic to this exoplanet, the moon and the planet were actually both planets, both rocky cores, forming out of this giant gas cloud that was orbiting the star, okay? So they're two planets forming around the star, and they're roughly the same size, only one was slightly bigger than the other. The one that got slightly bigger than the other managed to get more material on it, and it stole the material away from the other planet and got bigger quicker, because the bigger you are, the more gravitational pull you have, the more material you're gonna get sucked into you. So it basically stole all the material away from the moon, allowing it to grow bigger to the size of a gas giant, three times the size of Jupiter, trapping the little planet, I say trapping the little moon, I say little... Little it's, being it's, the size of Neptune. Exactly. Trapping that at the core phase. It could still have gas around it, but it is just a massive rock core planet that just happens to be orbiting a much bigger planet, therefore making it a moon. So that's the theory of how it formed. Again, incredible, right? That is amazing. Uh, the, the other thing that adds uh, to my wonderment of this as well, uh, it was kind of a throwaway line, but it was also, oh yeah, we, we think we know the inclination of it as well. So what angle this thing orbits at? It's like, oh, come on. Like, Showing off now. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I don't know the angle of my roof. <laughs> like, I, I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's somewhere between 45 degrees and flat. But, but yeah, it's just like, I could work it out, I suppose, but the idea of something umpteen, what, 8,000 light years away, yeah, we know the angle, thanks. I don't even know the angle of our moon to the... Oh, no, I do know the angle of our moon to the uh, the sun, because that, that's how you get solar eclipses. So uh, there must be aligned. Maybe I don't know the angle to the moon. It's about four degrees off. Is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, I don't even know that. Um, well, you can apply for some time on the Kepler telescope and ask it to measure the inclination of your roof if you, if you want to be doubly sure. Well, that was it, yeah. And they apply for time on this telescope. I, I just like the idea of NASA sending it up half a billion pounds on this. Anyone want to go? Any, anyone? Anyone want to look at anything? I'm guessing the contention on it is quite large. Yeah, you really need to make a good pitch for why you want to use this telescope and what you're going to use it for. Yeah, it must be for like, you know very profound science. Oh, absolutely. I want to look at my roof, or <laughs> <laughs> I want to look at another telescope. I'll do it at 2am on a Tuesday. Fine. Like, do we, do we know, like, what the committee is, that how you apply? I don't. We can look at it up for next yeah. time. Can we apply and see how far we get? Uh... Also, do they hand over, like, a joystick or something to you, or yeah. how do you control it? Xbox. <laughs> Does it have like a web interface? And I said, right, we'll email you a password. Just don't change the password while you're on. Guest. Okay. Because, <laughs> yeah, we have to, like, if you change the password, we have to send the admin up to space <laughs> to do a hardware reset. So can we do that for next time or, or one time? Like, what does it take to apply for a time on a telescope? I don't know, but I will find out. And how does it work? Do you get, like, a web interface? So uh, I will... Do some digging and try to find out for next time. Uh, see if we can apply for a little bit on the Hubble telescope. <laughs> oh wow, that really did not come out on the, <laughs> on the printer. <laughs> Thankfully I've seen it on, on the screen, but that's, that's rubbish. <laughs>
<laughs> Note to self, do not use the work printer anymore.